Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back. I've recovered from the plague, so my voice won't be quite so nasally this week. And I have to tell you, being sick the same week that Seattle emerged as the epicenter of the U.S. coronavirus outbreak was not great for my hypochondria, but I survived. And neither my husband nor my daughter got sick, so I'll just pat myself on the back for keeping my germs to myself. All that said, for those wondering about perfume production or events where you can come smell perfume in person, I have always worn gloves and masks when making perfume, so that's not an issue. For events that don't get canceled, I'll have hand sanitizer at the ready, and I just won't be taking signatures on credit card transactions for the time being. Okay, pandemic update over. Let's get back to Irish history. Today's subject happens to be an Irish American. Her parents were both born in Ireland, and she was first-generation American, born in New York. I am third-gen Irish-born in New York. My family actually came the generation after hers. As of recording and posting, it is Sunday, March 8th, 2020, and it just so happens to be International Women's Day, so our subject for this week is definitely a strong choice. Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger is the woman who founded Planned Parenthood. She is both a reproductive hero and highly controversial because she also believed in eugenics. Yeah. So buckle up, friends, because this is one fascinating, complicated story that still affects us to this day. As we do, let's start with her parents. Margaret's dad, Michael Hennessy Higgins, which that is super Irish name, immigrated to the United States from Ireland when he was 14, and at 15, he joined the Union Army during the Civil War as a drummer boy. Interestingly, he denounced Catholicism and became an atheist who was both very into politics in general and super into women's suffrage. He was a stonemason and an alcoholic. Margaret's mother, Anne Purcell Higgins, on the other hand, was super devout Catholic, Her family had immigrated to Canada during the Great Potato Famine. Here's the big thing you need to know about her mom, though. In 22 years of marriage, Anne was impregnated 18 times. 18 times in 22 years. Of those 18 pregnancies, she had 11 living children. Number six was Margaret. Now, as a girl born roughly in the middle of the rest of her brothers and sisters, Margaret spent a great deal of her childhood helping care for her younger siblings, as well as her mother when she took to her childbirth bed. Margaret was angry about this. She was mad at her mother for allowing this to happen, mad at her father who was spouting feminist ideals and then doing nothing for family planning, and she was mad overall that she was relegated to child rearing, which kind of became a theme for her. Then, at either age 40 or age 49, reports differ, but whichever it was, it was still way too young, and died. Her body was literally wasted from the stress of so many pregnancies. Okay, so you've got this father who is into women's suffrage and a mother who had no control over how many times she gave birth. Both of these helped shape what would become her life work of advocating for birth control. Her older sisters helped support her through nursing school, which was difficult because on top of everything else, Margaret was a consumptive, meaning that she had tuberculosis, and that was just kind of something you lived with back then until it killed you. Despite her own objections to marriage and childbirth, she then married William Sanger. William Sanger was an architect and, like her father, very politically minded, with a particular focus on women's rights. They moved to Westchester, New York, which that's where Sleepy Hollow is, everyone 
I think it used to be called Terrytown, and they just decided to lean into the Headless Horseman thing and renamed it Sleepy Hollow. I've been there a bunch, so got excited. Sorry for the digression. She worked as a nurse at a hospital. He did his architect thing, and they had three kids, two boys and a girl. But it wasn't until their house literally burned to the ground that Margaret had her date with Destiny. After the fire, the family relocated to New York City, Greenwich Village in particular. The village at the time was bohemian, and a lot of artists, activists, anarchists, and socialists all coexisted together. Margaret joined the Women's Committee of the New York Socialist Party, and they started hanging out with the likes of Emma Goldman, an iconic anarchist, and Upton Sinclair, the author who wrote The Jungle that exposed the unsanitary conditions of the meatpacking industry. Okay, so these are her friends. Also of note during this time was her work. She was practicing as a nurse for women in the slums. Most of these women were Irish and Italian working-class immigrants who had multiple children already. Margaret would make house calls, and the women would beg her to tell her the secret to prevent having more children. You see, there was a law called the Comstock Law, and it said that all information and distribution of reproductive everything was obscene. Now, it wasn't always this way. Prior to the law's passage in 1873, information on preventing pregnancy was something you could find. Margaret went to the public library and did tons of research trying to find information to help her patients. Another big reason for her nursing visits was that a lot of women either had back alley abortions or self-induced abortions that went awry. This was horrifying to her, and because of this, she actually, contrary to popular belief, was anti-abortion. She believed that women should be able to prevent pregnancy, which would thus negate the need for abortion. So Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, was actually not on board with the right to abortion. This was largely because at the time, since it was illegal, it wasn't safe, and as a nurse, she got to deal with all the repercussions. She wrote two popular articles in the socialist newspaper that were bluntly titled and written, What Every Mother Should Know and What Every Girl Should Know. They were both explicit about reproductive health and pregnancy prevention. They caused a stir. Some people loved the candidness. Others were like, what the hell? That's obscene. She and William became estranged in 1913, and a year later, she started a contraception newsletter called The Woman Rebel. It was in this newsletter that she coined the term birth control, and her old anarchist buddy, Emma Goldman, championed her cause and helped her run the newsletter. You see, she was actually trying to get caught with this because she wanted to challenge the Comstock Law. Except when they actually did come after her, she was threatened with a five-year sentence, so she fled to England. There, she fully embraced her ideals about free love and had affairs with Havelock Ellis and H.G. Wells, the author of The Time Machine and The Island of Dr. Moreau. Havelock Ellis was also the author of Psychology of Sex. He was also into eugenics and population control, which is where she got a taste of all that. We'll get more into it in a bit. While in Europe, she was able to do more research since there weren't the same obscenity laws. She also learned about the use of diaphragms. Then in 1915, her estranged husband got arrested for giving out pamphlets on birth control and was sentenced to a month in a workhouse, so she had to get back home to take care of her kids. I couldn't find info on this, but I think her daughter Peggy had died by this point of pneumonia. When she got back, she opened up America's first birth control clinic in Brooklyn. At the clinic, they gave away pamphlets, condoms, suppositories, douches, and diaphragms that they had smuggled in from Europe. Here's what the ads to get people to the clinic said. Mothers, can you afford to have a large family? 
Do you want any more children? If not, why do you have them? Do not kill, do not take life, but prevent. Safe, harmless information can be obtained of trained nurses. All mothers welcome. Tencent registration entitles any mother to this information. So that is super interesting. She was specifically targeting women who already had children. She wasn't advocating for corrupting, which I say in air quotes, nice young ladies, again, in air quotes. The clinic was massively successful. On day one alone, they helped 100 women, but then they were shut down and arrested 10 days later after helping 400 women. Margaret's sister, Ethel, was a registered nurse and helped her run the clinic. She was tried first, convicted, and sentenced to 30 days in a workhouse. Ethel was fierce and went on a hunger strike. After 185 hours of no food or water, she was force-fed. And she was actually the very first woman political prisoner to be force-fed in the U.S., so badge of honor for her. Margaret was tried, convicted, and sentenced after. Her health was already weak, because remember, she was a consumptive, so she just served her time while continuing to appeal. And here's where the big breakthrough came. The appeal didn't overturn her sentence, but it did introduce a huge loophole to the laws. The judge decreed that doctors could prescribe birth control, and that would not be obscene. So now Margaret had her new angle, which we still have today, get your doctor to prescribe it. Because these trials and the verdict were sensational front page news, during World War I at that, it inspired activists and donors across the country. So now things are really moving along. In 1921, she founded the American Birth Control League because what she learned was that she had a higher success rate if she left radical tactics behind and instead went after wealthy donors. We're talking Rockefellers. They would cut big checks in secret for her to continue her birth control advocacy. And she wrote books. She had a documentary. She went on lecture tours. She even remarried a wealthy man named Noah Slee, who smuggled diaphragms from Europe to her clinics. She had a falling out with ABCL and founded the Birth Control Clinical Research Bureau. Then she founded a lobbying group for birth control, all whilst continuing her lecture tours and traveling to other countries to see how things were done in other parts of the world. In 1929, she was also asked to start a clinic in Harlem at the request of a social worker. The clinic had an all-African-American advisory council, which counted W.E.B. Dubois, one of the founders of the NAACP, and later the clinic would be staffed by all Black doctors. Here's another fun little tidbit about her work with the African-American community. Martin Luther King Jr. was the first to win the Margaret Sanger Prize, and he praised her work. I'm bringing this all up because when I get to her problematic issues, this will add some context. In 1937, her advocacy organization won a major victory when contraception was listed as a routine medical service. Soon after, the American Medical Association added it to medical school curriculums. Then, in 1939, she successfully merged her two competing birth control organizations into one called the Birth Control Federation of America. In 1942, the name was changed against her wishes to Planned Parenthood. She was like, um, Planned Parenthood is vague. It needs to have birth control right in the name. But anyway, here we are. And Planned Parenthood does so much more than just abortions and birth control. Planned Parenthood is all about health care for low-income people. So if you're interested in donating to Planned Parenthood, there is a link in the show notes. Moving on, though. The last major thing that she did that was basically world-changing 
She was the one who got the funding for a doctor who took her up on making a new contraceptive for all women, the birth control pill. The pill was approved by the FDA in 1960. Birth control was legalized by the Supreme Court in 1965. And then in 1966, at the age of 86, Margaret Sanger died. Imagine that. She got to see her life's work succeed. Pretty spectacular way to go. Although I think now we're actually going backwards. So hopefully there's a less problematic Margaret Sanger out there on the rise. Okay, that's her life. Now let's go into the icky stuff I mentioned earlier. So she was into eugenics, which if you're not familiar with that term, that's basically selective breeding to make the population the most fit. This was famously hijacked by the Nazis for their Aryan race. Because Margaret Sanger worked extensively with the African-American community, and she also gave a lecture to the women's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan, yikes, most people assume that she was a racist and looking to get rid of non-white people. From what I read, while she may have harbored racist feelings, there's no way to know, her argument was mostly from the standpoint of economics. She didn't want poor people reproducing because they couldn't afford it. She also took it a step further. She didn't want anyone with severe mental impairments to have kids. So yeah, she thought forced sterilization of mentally ill or impaired people was fine. And like I said before, she was also anti-abortion, although she did say it was okay in justified situations. I'm guessing that means from complications of pregnancy. All right, so there you go. She did a lot of great work for women's health and women's rights, also had some borderline Nazi ideas. She was anti-Nazi, though, let me state for the record. If you're interested in more on Margaret, there's two things you should check out. First off, there was a wonderful podcast I listened to by two Australian ladies called Deviant Women. There's a link to the episode in the show notes, but they spend way more time getting into all the nitty-gritty of the work that she did, and I found the host to be delightful. It's fascinating, and like I said, they spend way more time than I had for today. In terms of historical fiction, Terrible Virtue was an intense historical fiction told from Margaret's point of view. I listened on audio, and wow, that was one angry narrator. So it made me wonder if that's what Margaret's personality was actually like, or if that's just how the narrator was choosing to act it out. So it's more like reading a fictionalized biography. Check it out if you want more Margaret. That's all I have for you today, my dear listeners. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. Please make a donation to Planned Parenthood so that other people out there can get the health care that they need. Stay healthy out there. And join me next week as we look at the life of one of your most requested historical figures, the Irish revolutionary Michael Collins. (laughs) 